Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. What a surprise, right? Finished chapter 1 last week. We're in chapter 2 this week. Um, let me just remind you where we are because, you know, Peter, this is five chapters in this. They just they just read this one day to people. Peter wrote this letter. It got sent out with messengers. It went to these churches. He's writing to churches in modern-day Turkey, but they're part of the Roman Empire at the time. And it was just read to them, probably read to them repeatedly, maybe Sunday after Sunday. But for us, we're kind of taking it apart, tearing it down, because, wow, we live a long way from these people. We're in another time. We're in another time zone. We're in another culture. We speak another language. We're going through it carefully to try and understand what they would have heard. What was Peter saying to them? What they would have heard. So remember, he starts just telling them about themselves and about God, just reminds them of some truths. Then he moves in to talk in verse 13. He kind of gets what I call his thesis statement. Like this is the first command in the book. It's the main thing he's telling them. Because as I've told you, soon we will get into the parts where he's talking about persecution. They live in a time, the first time in the history of the church, when the Roman government has turned against Christians. The Roman government's now suspicious of Christians, and you're starting to see persecution in different places in the government. And he's going to get there, but the first thing he says is, you've got to have your hope set on the return of Christ. The, the place where you expect things to come right, this confident expectation of good that I told you, I really like that definition. That's from when Jesus returns. There's no guarantee of that here. And then he goes on to tell them to live the things that are true about them. So remember, he talked about how you're holy, he said. And he, he mentioned they'd been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. You've heard me say that's not something we do, but it made perfect sense to them. That's how you made something holy. If you're going to have a, a feast for Apollo, you can't just bring out your regular old dishes to feast a God. You've got to make them holy. They've got to be special. So you bring out your utensils, you kill an animal, you, you sprinkle the, the utensils with blood. You wash them, and now, now they're useful. Now they can be used for the God. And Peter told them, you have the Holy Spirit in you, making you holy, sanctifying you. Because, of course, when you eat on those dishes in the evening, and, you know, they get dropped, and they get used, and everything else, by the end of the evening, they're not holy anymore. Normal, everyday people have used them, and they're normal and everyday and ordinary. And so the next time you have a feast, you got to go and sprinkle them with blood again and wash them. And Peter says, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's happening all the time. You were made holy once, and now the Holy Spirit is renewing holiness within you. And so because this is true, Peter says, because you've been made holy, because you are holy through the work of the Spirit, because the God you worship is holy, now be holy. Live out what you know. We're coming to the end over the next couple weeks. We're going to do the end of this sort of introductory part of Peter, where he's giving these general commands. So I want you to read with me. I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 4, just down through verse 8. As he's beginning to expand, he's beginning to talk more about some of the things that are going on in their world. Like, listen closely. You'll hear the very beginning of him talking about opposition. Because up until now, I mean, I keep telling you, oh, this is written to Christians who are being oppressed. But so far in the book, there's been absolutely nothing that would make you think that was true. You're going to notice now as he moves that just some little hints that, that there are issues for them. There are problems. So read along with me. First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 down through verse 8. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter, in this passage, he's, made, he's referencing back to a passage in Isaiah about God building a building and creating a cornerstone. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he's using an image that everybody in this world understood because they were everywhere. Temples, shrines, monuments, the the things, the ways that people got close to the gods in their world. There are temples and shrines and monuments everywhere in the ancient world. I remember the first time I went to Thailand when we were missionaries. And so Thailand is a Buddhist country. Almost everyone there is a Buddhist. And everywhere you go, anywhere in the city, there are Buddhist shrines. There are shrines everywhere. There are shrines in the middle of the road. Every time two roads come together to form an intersection, in the center of that is a Buddhist shrine. Can you imagine that? Every intersection in Atlanta had a little religious symbol right in the middle. Shrines are everywhere for people. And the same was true in their world. There were temples, there were shrines, there were monuments, there were inscriptions. Everywhere you went in an ancient city, you would find these buildings, these monuments, these things that people were creating to connect to the gods. Because you want to connect to the gods. You kind of have to in their world. Again, I've asked some of you, if you ever read mythology before, the the Greek gods, and in fact, many of the ancient gods, they come off as kind of like petulant middle schoolers. They're always getting angry. They're always feeling put out. They're always upset at something. You don't want to make the gods angry. And there are so many of them that you have to be careful that you don't overlook any of them. So you ever had a party and you're drawing up the guest list and you, know, you can only invite so many people. You only have so much space, so much food, so much time. And maybe there's people that you don't necessarily want to invite to your party, but you know when they find out that you had a party and they weren't invited, wow, are they going to make a stink. Wow, is that going to be bad when they find out that you didn't invite them to your party. And so you have to invite them, even if it means you don't invite someone else. That's what the ancient gods are like. If you have a party, wow, you better invite all of them or they are going to be furious. Anybody ever heard of the Trojan War? Remember that, the Trojan War? You know, the Trojan War starts... Because in an effort to cause as much trouble as possible, a a god takes a golden apple and writes, for the fairest, on it, and tosses it into a party. And all the goddesses get into a huge fight over who gets the apple, who's the most beautiful, who's the fairest. Out of that comes the Trojan War. 
Tens of thousands of people killed, cities destroyed, lives ruined. Because basically three big goddesses get into a huge fight over, I'm prettier than you are. What do you mean you're more beautiful than me? That's the ancient gods that these folks are worried about. And so there are temples everywhere because you don't want to neglect them. And Peter takes this image of something everybody would know and everyone would have seen would have been totally normal, a temple, a building. In the building, there's going to be priests. Priests are going to make sacrifices. This is how you connect to the gods. And he just turns it on its head. He completely turns it upside down because he says, oh, absolutely, we have temples. We, we, we have a temple in Christianity, but it's not a physical temple. It, it's a spiritual temple. And we have priests. Of course we have priests, but they're all of us. And we have sacrifices. Of course we have sacrifices, but they're spiritual sacrifices. All the things that everyone would have understood in this world, Peter takes them and he kind of says to them, you know all the temples you see and all the priests and all the sacrifices, all the normal stuff in your world, those are actually just representations of something else that's going on, something bigger, something more important. There's a bigger and a better and a more important temple out there. It's a spiritual temple and that's what is happening with us in Christianity. Now, no one at this time would have thought that. Nobody would have thought, oh, sure, of course, all the worshipers come together. You know, we think that now. We think, oh, yeah, I can be spiritual, right? I, I can, I'm a spiritual person. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be part of a religion. You don't have to go to a church. You can just be spiritual. Nobody in these days, in these cultures, thought you could do this on your own. You had to go to the temple. You had to participate in the feast or whatever it was. Peter says to them, oh, sure, we do all that. But we do it totally differently. We, all of us Christians, we are the temple. And we are the priests. And we offer the sacrifices. The temple that you go to, the priests that you worship, or in these case, these Christians, the ones you used to, said, those are just like symbols. So you get the idea of something bigger and greater. It's like, have you ever drawn three dimensions on a piece of paper, which is two-dimensional? You know, you add the little dotted lines and you shade things in and all. He's like, the temples you see, yeah, they're, they're, they're like the drawings we would do because there really is a spiritual temple out there. And that's what we are. And here's the thing, folks. If all of us together are being made into a spiritual temple. Do you see why it's so important that we are all together? Because our world will say, oh sure, you can, you can just be spiritual, you can just be a Christian, you can be whatever, you can do whatever you want. The spirituality, that's a personal thing. It's inside you. Yes, it is, but according to Peter, it's also outside of you. It's also all of us. When Peter says you here, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. All the yous are plural. That's important in his language. If he was saying, each of us individually, God is building us into his house where we make sacrifices and he dwells, all those yous would be singular. 
you, singular, are being built into a house. That would mean each of us, individually, Jeff's being built into a house, Elizabeth's being built into a house, Nick's being built into a house. He never says that. They're always plural. That's y'all, right? We're in the South. Y'all, all of you, all of us together, you all together, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, singular. All of us together are being built into a house, but so often we think, oh, it's just me. I'll get involved how I want. I'll do what I want. I'll, it's my spiritual life. It's my relationship with God. I'll connect with God and do all these things. And Peter's saying, no, no, we have to do this together. I want you to imagine that you're going to build a house and you hire a builder to build your house and you've got the plans and all and the builder comes and on the work site he dumps a pile of two by fours and he dumps a bunch of plywood and he dumps some bricks and he dumps a bunch of sheetrock and he dumps a bunch of shingles and he comes to you and says I have built your house pay me what you owe me and you look at the building site and you're like I don't see a house all I see is building materials and he says to you no 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 you don't understand Every single one of those two-by-fours is a house. Look, you see that pile of two-by-fours? That's a pile of houses. That pile of shingles, every single shingle is a house. I have not built you one house. I have built you thousands of houses. I'm only asking you to pay me for one. So pay me what you Would you pay him? No, of course not. He hasn't built a house. That pile of two-by-fours. Yes, look, I've built you a pile of houses. No, you've dumped out a pile of sticks. That's not a house. But that is how so many people in our culture, I mean, so many Christians today think, I'm a two-by-four. God is making me into a house. No, not alone. One two-by-four does not a house make. I don't care how you do it. You are not gonna make a house out of a single two-by-four. If you have in your yard a pile of shingles, you have a problem. That has to be dealt with. You can't just leave them there. Whatever you planned on doing over the weekend, you're not doing that. You're cleaning up shingles. You know, maybe you're gonna be lazy and you're just gonna stack them under the deck and deal with them later. Maybe you're gonna go the whole length and you're gonna try and put them on Facebook or you're gonna take them to the dump or whatever. But you've gotta deal with that pile of shingles because a pile of shingles in your yard is a problem. But a pile of shingles on your roof, all lined up one past another, overlapping the way they're supposed to overlap on the downslopes, that's not a problem. That's essential. That keeps you dry and keeps you warm. It's the same shingles. It's the exact same shingles. But when they are lying in your yard, they're a problem. And when they're nailed all nice and in order on your roof, then they keep you warm and they keep you dry. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. Paul will use this same metaphor. He'll use it with body parts. He'll talk about hands and eyes and feet and ears and those kind of things. But Peter here says, all of us are stones and we're all being made and put together to make this spiritual house for God. 
And over and over again, what you've got in the church today is tons of stones lying out in the yard. And that's not a building. That's not a temple. That, that's not anything that God is fitting together. It's just a bunch of stones. So I want you to imagine, if I gave you a bunch of bricks, okay, and I said to you, build up these bricks into a two-foot by two-foot by two-foot platform. But all you got is bricks. No mortar, no glue, no nothing. You fit them together any way you want. You line them up, you can turn them sideways. I don't care how you want to do it. Fit them together any way you want, but make a platform two by two by two. If you did that, if you lined up all those bricks, would you stand on that platform? Because what's going to happen as soon as you put weight on it? It's going to collapse. Because it turns out those bricks don't actually fit together all that well. Because in our world, when we fit stones and bricks together, we use mortar. If you've ever done any brickwork, oh, mortar covers a multitude of sins. Wow. You just have to get close. You slap the mortar down. You put the brick in. Is that straight? Who cares? The mortar will hold it put another brick in. Is that straight? Who cares, right? If you find you're curving, that's okay. Slap a little more mortar in, right? Mortar is a wonderful thing because the mortar, the cement we have today is stronger than the bricks. It will hold everything together. The bricks can just be decorative. You can slather mortar all over. You get a fireplace, slather mortar all over it, and then you just stick a bunch of rocks in it, and it looks really cool. The rocks aren't doing anything. They're just decorative, it's the mortar that has the strength. In their world, their cement, their mortar, it didn't hold everything together. They had it, but it wasn't nearly as strong as what we had. When they built temples, when they built structures out of stone and brick, they had to fit everything together. I want you to listen. This is a quote I found as I was researching, like, how did they build temples and things like that? This is an archaeologist, right? He's not talking about religion. It's just an archaeologist talking about building ancient temples from 2,000 years ago. He said, they would dress the stone to tolerances of 0.01 inches. They would dress the stone to a hundredth of an inch of where they wanted it. Then they were set together so closely that a thin razor blade could not be inserted between the stones. And these guys aren't just doing like, if, if you've ever, you know, we do bricks, we put them together, and they put another one here, and we put another one here, right? We try and make it all nice and geometric. They weren't doing that at all. They were carving out hooks in their stones so they could hook stones together. There are buildings that are just made out of stone. There's no mortar or anything holding them together that withstand earthquakes over thousands of years because they have actually hooked all those stones in together. That's how these guys make ancient temples. And that's what Peter says God is doing with us. God is taking us and he is fitting us and he is putting us together so we hold together. So we have strength. Again, there's not these huge layers of cement between. He's moving us, spiritual stones, together so that we hold together. If these guys built that two by two by two platform, 
You could dance on it. It wouldn't move. Nothing at all would happen because that's how they built with stone. That's the image that these guys would have when Peter says that God, you're living stones. The temples you see around you for them in their world, they're dead. They're, made, they're physical, but they're made out of dead materials, rocks and stones, and, and even the trees that used to be alive. If you've got beautiful cedar panels in your temple, wow, the cedar's not alive anymore. It was. It was alive in a tree on the hillside. You had to cut it down and shave it. It ain't alive in your temple anymore. The temple is full of materials that's not alive. And Peter says God is building a temple that's living. It's not made out of dead materials. It's made out of living materials. It's made out of people. And he's fitting all of us together to make that happen. Because if you take one brick and you look at it, it looks pretty square. It's like, yeah, sure. If you, I gave you a single brick and said, you know, is this square? Is it straight? Is it even? You'd look at it. I, I got a stack of them in my backyard. I took a look. Yeah, sure. That one looks pretty even. Then you put two of them together, and what do you find out? They're not even. <laughs> They're not straight. You look at the edge, and you think, oh, sure, that looks like a right angle. And then you stack three or four of them together in a row, and it starts going like this because it turns out they're not actually at right angles. One block by itself, oh, it looks great. Two, three, four, five blocks together, you start to see all the imperfections. You start to see all the way, ah, that block's not exactly as straight as it looked. Ah, that corner, it's not as square. It, it looked good. Ever been in a house like that where you know, it, it, like it doesn't come square and so the door is actually hanging at an angle or something? It, it looks good at first, but then you compare it to everything else and you find out, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was. <laughs> That's us, brothers and sisters. That's what God's doing with us. That's why it is so important that we be in fellowship with each other. That is why it's so important, that why we talk to you about things like community groups and discipleship groups, why we encourage you to be involved in Bible studies, why we encourage you to, to come on Sunday morning to church, to, to meet one another, because one block by itself looks fine. And you think, oh, this is great. I'm doing great. Look, I'm straight. I'm square. Oh, then you get put up next to other people. And you find out you're not as patient as you thought you were. It's easy to be patient when nobody's bothering you, isn't it? Turns out you get involved with all those other people and you find out, I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. I'm not as gentle as I thought I was. I'm not as kind as I told myself. Because if you're just a brick by yourself, of course you're perfect. You've got nothing to measure it against. Peter says, God is fitting us together. Again, remember what that means in their world, a hundredth of an inch. He's fitting us together to make a spiritual building. How 
they take this stone, it looks square, and then you line three of them up together and you realize, oh, it's not flat, it's not straight, it's not square. We gotta square it off. How do you square off a stone? You get a chisel and a hammer. Anybody ever felt like in church God was chiseling you with a hammer, something like that? That's what God's doing to us. But it only happens when we're together. It happens in fellowship. Peter says God is building us together. And Jesus is our cornerstone. Again, remember how they build. They've got to fit these stones together. The cornerstone, the the word cornerstone in their language literally means greatest angle. I mean, it's the word greatest and the word angle put together, meaning the best angle, the most perfect angle, because the cornerstone has got to be perfect because everything is going to get built in all three dimensions off that one stone. If that stone is not within a hundredth of an inch perfect, then your walls are going to go out. Your walls are going to go up and apart or in. That cornerstone has to be perfect so that every other stone matches up to it. And we have that, Peter says. We have this perfect cornerstone. Oh, but I don't know about you, but I am not a perfect block of stone. (laughs) I'm not a perfect brick. I'm not completely straight. I'm not perfectly square. And it's as we come together, it's as we fellowship together, it's as we are, as we are the church, and I don't just mean our, just DCC, I mean all of the church across the world, as we are together with one another, ah, oh, the Lord straightens us, rubs us against each other. He knocks the hard edges off of us. He fits us together to be this perfectly fit spiritual dwelling where Jesus is the perfect cornerstone and all the rest of us are built off of him. But again, that's hard. Remember what he said way back in verse 13? Gird the loins of your mind. Like this is gonna be hard. This isn't easy work to do. It's not easy for all of us to gather together and to have our rough edges knocked off. It's not easy for all of us to gather together and be around each other and realize, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not as kind. I'm not as gentle. I'm not as spiritual. I'm not, I'm not as whatever. It's when we're put up against something else that we realize, oh, that, that's not straight, is it? But if that never happens, then you spend your whole life thinking you're great. You're square. Everything's fine. You're a, you're a brick. You're a block. You're, there you are. You're a two by four. Everything's great. But you're not a house. You're not a building. You're not a temple. You're not what God wants you to be when, when you're alone. Because again, think about those shingles. A pile of shingles is a problem. But that same pile on your roof is a joy because it keeps you dry. And those shingles keep everything dry. All the two by fours, all the plywood, all the sheetrock, everything else on that building site. It's all kept dry in the house because of that row of shingles all lined up on the roof. And the shingles need the two by fours because they're what's holding the roof up. God is building us together. We each have a role to play. We're each part of this building. And did you notice, I told you at the beginning, 
Peter just starts to hint at the fact that there's, it's not just problems on the inside of, oh, wow, I'm not actually lined up as well as I thought I was. But there's going to be problems from the outside. Verse 4, the stone is rejected. Verse 7, the stone is rejected. Verse 8, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, what do you do when you get up at night and you're walking through your house or your apartment or something and you trip on something you didn't think was there? How do you feel about whatever it was you tripped over? Are you full of warm, fuzzy thoughts? towards that toy your child left or the, whatever it is, your, or your dog. I've tripped over my dog at night because he decided I must lie down at the foot of the bed while you all are sleeping. I'm protecting you or something. I'm not full of happy thoughts towards my dog when I get up at two in the morning to go to the bathroom, kick him, and almost fall flat on my face. I want to kick him again. Go sleep in your bed. What are you doing here? Peter says, that there are people, like when he says they reject, it's an interesting word, it's hardly ever used. It means to examine something and then refuse it. These aren't people that are just like ignorant, they don't know about the gospel, they don't know about Jesus. These people have looked at Jesus, they've looked at the gospel and they've said, no, not for me, no way. They've intentionally rejected it. And then later, they've tripped over it. And you better believe they are not gonna be happy about that. Nobody is happy about whatever it is that trips them up. If, if you leave something in your yard, you trip over it, fall flat on your face, wow, you are not excited about that rake or whatever it was you just stumbled over. Peter's just beginning to hint at the fact that there's going to be issues. Like the outside world is going to have issues with you. And, and in fact, as we get into the rest of chapter 2, we'll see that. But for the moment, for now, I just want to camp here on what Peter says, that God is fitting all of us together. And brothers and sisters, that means you. If you're a follower of Christ, then you have a role to play in the spiritual temple that God is building. You are part of the spiritual priesthood. You have spiritual sacrifices to offer. And so my question to you is, are you doing that? Are you involved? Now, wow, I hope I am preaching to the choir (laughs) that you all are sitting here in church on a Sunday. And let's be clear, scripture doesn't say thou must go to DCC 1030 on Sunday morning. It's the whole church. It's community Bible study and Bible study fellowship and other churches and parachurches and and our community groups. But we've got to be involved with each other or else we're just a shingle lying out in the driveway somewhere. And no one looks at a shingle in the driveway and thinks, oh, praise God for that shingle. The only shingles we're excited about are the ones in the roof keeping us dry. You have a role to play in this building that God is building up. And what happens, if you're, I mean, again, if you ever come into a house as it's being built, And so, you know, one room will be beautiful because all the sheetrock is up and it's mudded and everything's great. And you go in the next room and it's full of holes. And maybe in the next room, there's not even any sheetrock at all. When we don't come together, when we're not all playing the parts that the Lord has given us to play, then the building is weaker. All those stones fitted together. What happens if one of the stones isn't there? Okay, I don't think it's Jenga. It doesn't necessarily fall down immediately but it's weaker. You have a role to play 
in the building that God has created. Now, you know, sometimes that role might be big and flashy. Sometimes that role might be art on the wall that everybody looks at. Sometimes that role might be the refrigerator that everyone loves. Everyone loves the refrigerator. But the refrigerator is sitting there because there's a floor under it, and the floor is sitting there because there's joists under that, and those joists are sitting there because there's two-by-four walls reinforcing them. Are the walls holding up your refrigerator from your basement? Are they less important than your fridge? Would you be just as okay if the fridge was in the basement lying down because nothing was supporting it? Sometimes, for some of us, the roles the Lord gives us, oh, they're wonderful. We're the microwave. And everyone comes to us every day and they heat up their food and they're excited. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're the drain pipes and all you do is move crap out of here and out of there. But which would you rather have in your house, a microwave or indoor plumbing? Seriously, if you had to choose between toilets and microwaves, which would you rather have, which is more important in your house. God is building all of us up together. Again, it's plural. It's, it's us. Everyone has a role to play. That, that doesn't mean you have to play it here. You know, for, for decades and decades, my role was not up here in front of you. My role was out there on another continent helping to translate the Bible. And then God called me here, and probably someday God will call us other places. But you've got a role to play. The Lord has things he wants you to be doing. He has ways he wants you to be involved. You fit in this building he's making. Do you know what that is? Are you you open to doing it? Are you willing to be part of it? If you're watching this at home, then are you part of a fellowship? Are you part of a group? I mean, I totally get God constrains some people with, with illness and with situations and circumstances, and you can't gather with the rest of the church and, and blessings on you. But if you're watching this at home and you could be gathering with Christians, ah, you just don't want to, then you're just a shingle lying out in the yard. You're just one brick off by yourself. You may think you look really great, but the only way you're useful is that you fit into what God is doing. The Lord has, is, wants to use all of us. He has a place for all of us. Again, that doesn't mean it's here in this church, but there is a place in this spiritual temple that he is building out of all the believers. There is part of the priesthood. And again, the priesthood uncovers people doing a multitude of different things, but God has a place for you. Do you know what it is? Are you doing it? If you know and are doing it, amen, blessings on you. If we can help you, let us know. If you're not sure, wow, pray into that. Come talk to me. I'll be happy. I don't know the answer, but I'll be happy to pray with you. Ask the Lord. Again, as Peter says, he's doing it. It's not we are building ourselves. God is building you up into a spiritual house. Jesus is the cornerstone. Some people are going to reject that, and we'll talk about them in the weeks to come. Do you know the role God has called you to? Your your place in the temple. Again, for some people, it's going to be right out front and everybody's going to see it. While for others, it's going to be hidden and nobody's ever going to know. But, But again, indoor plumbing is a beautiful thing even though you don't see it. You're glad to have it. 
Do you know the role God has called to you? Wow, if you don't, I'm going to pray over us. If you're not sure, then pray into that with me. And I, again, come talk to me. I will happily pray with you about these things. Because this is how we grow. This is how we become more like him. This is what Peter says God is doing. And even before he ever gets into all the trouble that they are going to have, this is another thing he wants them to know. So pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you. This is really kind of you. I mean, you could just do this yourself. You don't need us. You don't need to use us to build your spiritual temple. You don't need us to be your priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. You could do all this yourself. And yet, Peter says in many places in Scripture, tell us again and again, you are building us up. You want us to be involved. You want to use us. You could go do all this yourself, and yet we are your children, and you delight to take your children to work with you. You delight to have your children with you and be part of this. Thank you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for all those who are sitting here with me. I pray for all those who will watch this at some point. The Holy Spirit, speak to us. What role do you want us to play? If we don't know what you have called us to, then please speak to us. There's so many different things that go into building a temple. There's so many different roles that go into being a priesthood. What are the roles you want each of us to play? What's the place where you want us to be fitted in to the temple that you are building? Lord, we confess life is busy We have so much going on. It is easy to forget. It is easy to be consumed with what is happening around us and forget this temple we don't see because it's spiritual. And yet it is just as real. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, speak to us. As we take communion, as we remember what you have done for us, how you are our cornerstone. You are the perfect cornerstone that everything is built off of. As we sing again to close out this service, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Are we playing the roles you want us to play? Are we being the people you want us to be? Are we involved in the things you want us to be involved? You are building us into a house, and we want to be part of that. So so show us if we're not. Show us how to be involved. Show us where to be involved. Show us who you want us to be involved with. Because you are the builder and we are the materials. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.